Well, I'm sure that those of you who are aware of what's going around in our society today, if you listen to the TV, although I'm sure I know a lot of you do not listen to uh, Bahamian TV, but for those of you who do or read the newspapers, I think you would be aware of the emphasis on gangs today, concerning our young people especially. In fact, just last week, I think, there was a full, uh, in the newspapers, uh, quite a tremendous um, article, a couple of articles written concerning gangs. And believe it or not, they say there's over, there are over 400 gangs in the Bahamas, and that's just the ones that they know of. They believe there are many more. 400 gangs. And not only that, it has been uh, said now by the police that most of the crimes and most of the things that are done by young people are done by young people who have some association with gangs in the schools and elsewhere. So this is a tremendous problem now. And there's much concern about our young people and gang violence today. Our headlines and newspapers, our letters to the editors, they have given many inches of columns space to these matters in recent times. Many, as I've said, things have been suggested, both as to the cause and to the solution of this social dilemma. I doubt if there's um, any family who is not in some way being impacted by the gang situation. In some way, you've been influenced. No one has escaped blame for this situation, of course. The school has been blamed. The church has been blamed. They get blamed for everything anyway. The family has been blamed. The government has been blamed. Society has been blamed. Police have been blamed. Movies have been blamed. TV has been blamed. Reggae music has been blamed. And now the rap has been blamed. Now, as Christians, as we've said before, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Isn't that right? We believe that the Bible is God's authority to us. So we have to ask, does the Bible have anything to say about gangs and young people? Does the Bible give us any guidelines for this current situation in which we find ourselves? I believe it does. In fact, I'm sure it does. But not in the sense the Bible is an automatic panacea or remedy on a wholesale, universal scale or basis. In other words, that it is a remedy that is applicable to saint and sinner alike. And then all of a sudden, everything is okay if you apply these five steps. I'm not talking about that kind of a remedy. But rather, I believe that the Bible describes certain things as being the natural consequence of rejecting God out of one's life. The only way those consequences could be progressively, not immediately, but progressively eliminated is by allowing God to control one's life. Now you say that's simplistic, but that's also the answer to the problem. Having God control one's life. Romans chapter 1 is the basic, classical, crucial passage that presents this spiritual law or principle. And so I want you to look at this now. Turn to Romans chapter 1 first, please. We'll show it on the screen as well. But turn to it in your Bibles. We're going to see that this is a passage that describes for us a universal principle as to why individuals are led down immoral and violent paths. Romans chapter 1, reading from verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, notice that, they did not think it worthwhile to retain it. They had it, they didn't retain it. The knowledge of God, God gave them, and these people who did not think this to be worthwhile, God gave them over to a depraved mind 
to do what ought not to be done. Notice now, this is an indication of God's judgment. It isn't that judgment is coming at the end of life. This is God's judgment allowing people to do what they want without him. This is God's judgment. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Notice now, it began with rejecting God out of one's life. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Notice the gang mentality here. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Now, many times that it is true, that is true today. People actually invent new things to do evil. They disobey their parents. Notice, notice the youth orientation here. They disobey their or Now, what is this coming to come? It comes into context of those who reject God out of their life. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, rootless. This involves young people who disobey their parents. Don't lose sight of that. Heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's in the context of youth. But the adult does it also. You watch all kinds of movies and everything that you, you, say, you yourself say you will never do, but you give approval to those who do it by watching it being done. Notice, though, the cause of this universal gang mentality is the failure to acknowledge God in one's individual life. Godless individuals gang together to act out their ungodliness against God. And that's how ungodly people work. They like to find other people they can entice to do the same ungodly deeds that they do. The gang mentality for doing evil. Overall, universally, as a matter of divine, the divine law that says, who or whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, such individuals are headed for the final retribution of God's judgment. Yes, they're being judged now by, allowing, by God allowing them to do what they're doing. But they're simply piling up judgment until the day of wrath. You say, what does that mean? Well, it's like opening an account of God's wrath. And every time you disobey him, you'd make a deposit. And one day, you're going to get the returns. You're getting some of it now, but one day, you'll get the final payout. That's what it means. But now, within the, con within the context of this overall framework, God's wisdom and mercy, and this is the important part, God's wisdom and mercy allows for individuals to break the cycle of judgment and step into his sphere of grace and forgiveness on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. When they do this, when they put God back into their life through faith in Christ, they are thus enabled through the word of God by the Holy Spirit to teach, to instruct, and to model a lifestyle that eliminates the godless gang mentality and instead encourage a godly fellowship mentality with the people of God by the younger generation. Listen to this. One of the reasons why a lot of young people and adults get into trouble is because they don't come to church. You don't gather together with the people of God. You don't gather together with saints. Or if you do gather together with quote on saints, then you get you don't talk about the things of God. Clear on that. 
The whole idea for God's people to get together is that they might encourage one another to love and good deeds, not evil deeds. There is safety within the fellowship of God's people. You must understand that. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, where this person who was first put out of the assembly for immorality, Paul wrote and says, this person had committed our immorality and the believers didn't put them out first. They were too scared, too whatever. They didn't do it. The, at the encouragement of Paul, they finally did. This man committing immorality was put outside of the church. For what purpose? So that the devil might be able to get at him. The implication is that if a Christian is in the fellowship of God's people, the devil cannot get at him the way he wants. But if he, ex if he is excommunicated, then the devil could get at him in a greater way. There is safety within the fellowship of God's people. See, too many times we look at our church gathering as just a club, just as another institutional meeting, a business meeting where the CEOs come to talk to you, and then that's it. Mm -mm. It's a living organism. It's where God's people are to gather together for preservation as well as growing into Christ-likeness. All right. The Bible is clear. Judgment begins in the household of God. That's a principle. Judgment begins in the household of God. And so if we are to transform society rather than allow society to conform us to its fallen standards, then we must put our house in order. We are to be the light of the world. And when that light shines, you better be sure that it's Christ's likeness that has been seen. And when we put our house in order by allowing God to control our lives as a family, the results will spill over into society. That's when we become the salt of the earth. When we are able to get into all of the areas of society as individuals living for God in the school, in the office, Wherever it is, individuals, there's too much. It's just like government today. They want the institutional church to do something. No, no, you're the salt of the earth. You as an individual, that's how the church does it. Not as an institution, but as individuals living Christ-like wherever they are. That's how you are the salt of the earth. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19, I believe, describes how this is done with respect to parents, children, and bad company. Parents, children, and bad company. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Please turn with me to that passage. Verse 7 is a the theme of the book of Proverbs, as well as the basis for what is presented in this passage, verses 8 through 19. Look at what it says, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Not, those are powerful statements. Remember now, this is the word of God. That's from the ancient texts. God's revelation to us. As I like to say, I didn't write this last night. God did it, and he did it for a purpose. The two foundational principles that are enumerated here. First, look at the word fear. This means reverence. This means respect or regard for God. And this is the basis. This is the foundation and first step of all true knowledge. In other words, the wisest thing the person can do is to know God personally. 
This is eternal life that they may know you. And Jesus whom you have sent. The wisest thing a person can do is to know God personally. Or in the words of a, an expositor, David Thomas, he said, quote, He knows nothing rightly who knows not God experientially. He knows nothing rightly who knows not God experimentally. End of quote. Those are powerful words and the true scripture. The fear of God, the respect for God is the highest form of spiritual intelligence. To reject him is foolish. Unfortunately, if it's one thing that is missing among young people as well as old today is the fear of God. No one seems to have fear of God anymore. And I believe it's because of the lack of teaching of the word of God. Nobody wants to hear the word of God today. Oh yeah, they'll go home watch TV, but they wouldn't sit down to hear and to learn the word of God. No fear of God. Both parents and children are guilty of this. The results are all around us. We're living as though we are our own gods. Parents must instill within their children the fear of God. Reverence for God. And the only way you can do that is if you demonstrate that fear and reverence for him yourself. This is a responsibility and obligation of parents to instill within our children the fear of God. Reverence, respect for him. But secondly, there's another principle here. Only fools despise godly wisdom and instruction. The text is clear. Only fools do that. We've been using these words quite a bit in the last few messages because that's what the word is saying. Don't walk foolishly. Walk as wise people. Know the will of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Now he's coming back to the same thing. All human learning detached from godliness is in the final analysis useless, spiritually speaking. No good. You could have all of the PhDs, DDDs, and everything you want behind your name. But if it is devoid of fear and respect for God and godliness, it is useless when it comes to eternal things. To learn without godliness is the mark of a fool. And the word fool here does not mean someone who is intellectually devoid, but rather someone who is spiritually limited or challenged. That's the same thing Romans chapter 1 is saying. Same thing. Wise fools. Because they leave God out of their lives. But in the context here, the greatest sin of young people, young people listen, is to despise or reject godly instruction from your parents, according to this text. That's the greatest sin you could commit. The divine author here applies these two principles to life. And the first area that he focuses on is that of parents, children, and bad company. It's amazing. Parents, children, and bad, or we could put it another way. He focuses on a warning against bad company. Or to be current, relevant to our day, gives a warning against joining gangs of evil youth. That's what he talks about. When he applies these two principles about what is worthwhile and what is foolish. 
He turns to young people and to parents. And he introduces his subject by emphasizing the importance of spiritual or parental instruction. Listen to verses 8 and 9. Hear my son. The daughter is implied. Hear my son. Your father's instruction. And do not forsake your mother's teaching. You see, the Hebrew form of writing means he's talking about the parents' responsibility here. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath on your head and ornaments about your neck. What a fantastic passage of scripture. There's some specific things, uh, a specific principle here. First, children are expected to obey their parents. That's why parents are parents, to give you instructions. Children, you're supposed to obey. If you don't obey, you're not acting. You're not acting like the children you propose that you're supposed to be. You're acting like parentless children. I mean, you don't listen to your parents. By implication, children's reverence for God is evidenced by obedience to their parents. Speak to young people. Talk to them. See what they, how they respect or disrespect their, children, their parents' instructions. You could know whether or not they fear God or not. Young people, your fear of God is acknowledged, first of all, as how you relate to your parents, not your peers. Your parents. This highlights God's value of the family as a divine institution. When a parent rejects the fear of God, the sanctity of the family disappears. You let a family, let parents begin to live for themselves and for wealth only, rather than for God, and you'll see the sanctity of the home disappearing very rapidly. Parents are expected to maintain the sanctity of the family through the godly instruction of their children. That's what you are responsible for, first and foremost. Amen. But there's another specific principle here. And that is, obedience to parents is something to be proud of on the part of children. It's a moral virtue. Notice it says it's a reed on the head or um, ornaments around the neck. See, back in that society, that was a mark of respect and honor. So what he's saying to the children is that when you obey your parents, it's as though you have a wreath on your head and ornaments around your neck that shows honor and respect. And that's what people appreciate. You see? And so, rather than looking at obedience to your parents as being childish, old, time, oh, no, not me, no, no, no. And, and say, no, my friends, what would they say if I tell them I'm obeying my parents? Well, I don't know what they're going to say, but I know what God is going to say. God says, I'm proud of you, young person. I'm proud of what you're doing. I like what you're doing. It's something to be proud of, young person, to be subject to your parents, to be obedient to your parents. The implication from this is that disobedience to parents is something to be ashamed of. If obedience to your parents is something to be proud of, disobedience to your parents is something to be ashamed of. And if you are disobeying your parents as a young person, you should be ashamed of yourself because God is ashamed of you. That's why this is listed in Romans chapter 1 as a gross sin, disobedient to parents. That's why. It's a shame to God. It's a shame to yourself. In fact, listen to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. And this one should, this one should scare you out your, sin, out your skin. Proverbs 30, verse 17. 
the eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. Boy, what a picture. And that's what it is. It's a picture. It's a symbol. It's a figure of speech. This is not to be taken literally. This is metaphorical or symbolic. It's a figure of speech. It is designed to emphasize the seriousness of the sin of disobeying parents is by being eaten to death by birds. That's a slow death. Now remember, this is the word of God. Ancient text, but applicable today. Parents must instill within their children the concept that disobedience to parents is a sin. Obedience to parents, on the other hand, is a wise and godly trait. It is something to be desired rather than something to be scorned or shunned. But then Solomon goes on, and he focuses specifically now on parental instructions concerning bad company. Let's take this verse by verse. Here is his instruction to parents. First he says, children, in verse 10, must understand the true nature of bad company. Bad company of sinners. Notice what he says. My son, if sinners entice you, do not give in to them. In context, sinners are those who do not reverence God, first of all. That's a sinner. You do not reverence God. You do not respect God. You're a sinner. Secondly, in context, sinners are those who do not obey their parents. In context, sinners are those who do not obey a parents. And thirdly, in context, sinners are those who congregate in gangs to commit evil. Sinners are those who congregate in gangs to commit evil. Here's a second principle in this passage, in this verse. Children must understand that they live in the midst of sinners and are constantly exposed to their enticements. If there's one truth that needs to be taught is this one today. Not just anybody should be allowed to associate with your children. You shouldn't expose your children. You shouldn't expose your children just to any kind of company. Children must understand they live in the midst of sinners and are constantly exposed to enticements. And that's the job of parents. Child abuse. It's going on all the time. And most of the time, the majority of the time, is done by those who you know well, part of your family that you trust. You've got to teach your children the enticements of sinners. You see, all sinners seek to entice others to sin along with them. That's a part of their nature. That's true in church, by the way. You get one person who's dissatisfied with something, he's gonna, she's going to talk to somebody else. What? Just to get some more people to gang up with him or her. That's the gang mentality. All sinners seek to entice others. Lucifer fell. What did he do? He immediately became the tempter. He tempted Eve. She fell. She tempted Adam. He fell. And it continues today. We continue to entice and to tempt others to sin along with us. This is a trademark of gangs. They deliberately entice others to join them so that they might become just like them. Another principle here. Children must be taught to resist the enticement of sinners. It says, do not give in to them. You notice that? Parents have to teach children 
how to be gang resistant. That's the responsibility of parents. It's not the responsibility of the school or the church or the government. Oh, yes, they might have their part. But the primary responsibility of parents. Parents like to farm out all of their responsibilities today when it comes to caring for children. From the time they're born to the time they get away from, they want to farm out all the responsibility. Farm it out to the pastor. Farm it out to the Sunday school teacher. Farm it out to the school teacher. Farm it out to the babysitter. Farm it out. Farm it out. Farm it out. And then the judgment comes one day. That's not my child. Mm -mm. My child? No. I saw it on TV today. These girls who beat up this other young lady. The main, the head, the, the, the ringleader. The mother said, oh no, she's a beautiful child. Wonderful child. She doesn't do anything. And then they bring her this long rap sheet of violence this young lady was involved in. But her mother, my little girl, she's an angel. Well, got to remind them, there are two kinds of angels. Children must be taught to resist the enticement of sinners. Do not give in to them. Parents must teach their children to say no to these enticements. Children simply are not aware of the dangers of, the, of their environment today, even when they are among so-called friends. They are not aware of the dangers that are all around them. Parents must warn them. Parents are responsible to teach them of these dangers. Eli stands out as a classic example of a parent who refused to warn his sons of the consequences of this sinful behavior. And God took away all of his heritage, everything, because of that. Because of the actions of the children. Failure to teach. Entire families, friend. listen to this, entire families have been ruined for life because of one foolish act of a child who was not taught the fear of God. Parents are paying the consequences because they do not fear God themselves or do they not teach it to the children. Entire families have been affected by it. But fourthly, Children must be made aware of the nature of the enticements of sinners. This is what we have in verses 11 through 14. First of all, peer pressure is an enticement to join the gang. Notice what it says in verse 11. If they say, come along with us, let us lie and wait for somebody's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. You see the enticement? It's like saying... If you don't join, you're not a part of the group. What is at stake here? Acceptance by the peers. That's at stake. Rejection of this enticement is seen as betrayal by the peers. That's what, so it's a, it's a real pressure, mind you. It's real. Parents need to enforce godly teaching the children to be able to resist peer pressure that leads to sin. Parents must teach your children what constitutes a true friend, for instance. They must be taught to discern between good and bad friends. Not just any old friend will do for your child. It is best not being a part of some groups, some gangs, and the parents should instruct their children along those lines. Parents must be aware of the signs when it comes to the children's friends. Signs of danger and gang mentality. We'll look at it in a few moments. But secondly here, sinners seek associates. They just want company. That's it. They're cowards by themselves. All the courage comes when they get together. They feel safer in numbers. 
They serve as support for one another when they have a difficult home life. By the way, that's why many young people go to gangs, because of the home situation. And they find support that they don't find at home. But unfortunately, a group of gang or gang actually becomes an enabler rather than a supporter. Secondly, secrecy is an enticement to join the gang. Notice what it says. Let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's secretly waylay some harmless soul. It's a secret thing. Enticement comes to the young lady. Come on. That's how sex for the gang. No one will know, especially your parents. That's secrecy. No one will know. What about this one? If you love me, you will. Just turn it back and says, if you love me, you wouldn't ask me. No one will know except us. And so they focus on this secrecy aspect. Now let me give you very quickly some telltale indicators that your children may be involved with a gang. These are given by the National Crime Prevention, Prevention Council. I'll go through it quickly. By the way, College Reed is doing a great job here in Nassau on this. And sometime you're going to bring him in to talk about these things. But here are some telltale signs for parents concerning possible involvement in gang. Number one, you see your child purchasing or desiring to buy or wear clothes of all one color or the same style. It may be, way the, it may be the way the clothing is worn. Gang paraphernalia may include jewelry, beads, or friendship bracelets. Obsession with one particular color of clothing or showing a desire for a particular logo over and over again may also be a sign. Gang members may wear clothing in a specific manner, such as wearing a specific ball cap worn to the right side or to the left or the back or the front. A pants leg rolled up may be an indicator of gang involvement. The rearing of baggy pants. Boy, it looked like everybody in a gang, but that's true. <laughs> now here's the point, though. One indicator, one of those things may mean nothing. It's the totality of the indicated that needs, indicators that need to be taken, not just one of them. Now, so don't get, you know, because you just see one of these things. Don't get all frenzy and says, my daughter, my son is a part. No, no, see if you see the whole gang of these things together. Secondly, changing appearances with special haircuts, eyebrow markings, or tattoos. These are all indicative, indicative of gang involvement. Tattoos especially are common and usually have at least one to identify gang membership. For instance, in one area, the three dots in the tattoo means my crazy life. That's a gang. And they're made known by three dots. There's others. There's different meanings, symbols of whatever it is. Using hand signs, nonverbal communication between members. They use hand signs. And so if you see your child practicing things at home, you know what I'm saying? Not for the deaf. But that's an indication. That's the gang language. Gang graffiti on the school folders, on the desk, on the walls, on the buildings, or in the rooms at home. Developing a bad attitude towards family, the school, and authorities. Staying out later than usual. Carrying weapons. Withdrawing from family activities, too boring. Changing friends all of a sudden. Spending time with undesirable people. 
You know, you see a young person, all of it, they're, they're, they're with, let, let's put it in the context of church, with the group at church. All of a sudden, they don't come to young people anymore. They're with friends from school who are not Christians. Aware, be aware. Be aware. That's what they're talking about. That's the enticements that come along. Having more money or possessions. I mean, you see your child all of a sudden get all these clothes, getting these TVs or, or machines, whatever it is, iPods and all of that, and they ain't working. Just don't be, you know, naive to say, well, you must be fell into good luck, maybe the numbers or whatever. Having more money or possessions. These should help you to determine if your child may, and I say may, be involved in a gang. And provide the impetus and motivation for you to confront them right away. And perhaps pre prevent them from becoming totally involved. But there are some enticements. Spirit says to tend to lure young people into joining a gang. Very clearly. Look at verse 12. The appeal to arrogant independency is an enticement. Notice what it says. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. You see, this is an attitude of self-confidence and freedom from civil or parental authority. It is a false courage and bravado. Safety in numbers. We could do anything without fear because they don't have the fear of God. Here in Nassau, young people actually go around looking for trouble. That's true. See what home they could break into, to see what cars they can destroy. Parents must teach their children respect for authority. Important. Verse 13, the appeal to immediate gratification is also an enticement. He says, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. This is amazing to me why so many parents would allow their children who are not working to bring so many things home for their benefit. It's amazing. My friends, listen, crime does pay. Maybe short term, but it does pay. It does, it, does, it does pay. And that's the motto of the gangs. Crime does pay. It's a shortcut to wealth and happiness. Work is out of touch with the gangs. It's out of touch with times. But sadly, as I mentioned, some parents teach the same thing when they allow their home to be furnished by beautiful things by a son or daughter who has no means, no visible means of income whatsoever. Parents must teach and demonstrate honesty and integrity to their children and the value of honest work. But number five, the appeal to camaraderie and acceptance is an enticement. Notice what it says in verse 14. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. Doesn't, doesn't that sound so nice? Fellowship, community. But this is only true usually when things are good. This is a strong enticement when things are bad at home, by the way. No love, no values, no models, no presence of parents in the home. Gangs then tend to create their own community. Who are people who are experiencing the same problems at home. Unfortunately, they look for the answers from the wrong group. Parents need to teach their children these truths. Fifth, verse 15. Children must be taught how to overcome these enticements. Notice what it says. Resist appeals no matter how strong. Notice the text. My son... Do not go along with them. Now notice, this is really specific. Then say, well, you know, look at it for a while. You know, see what happens. Get in the world. Don't go too far. Just begin. If you feel you have a little bit of rapport with these people and you're having fun, all right. That, that, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. 
my son, do not go along with them. Very specific, very upfront, to the point. Say no. That's the bottom line. And your children want to get involved with undesirable people. No. That's what the text is saying. Do not compromise even for one time. Notice what it says. Do not set foot on their path. First step. I could give you all kinds of illustrations of young people who said, well, I'm only going to do it this one time. You remember the story of the famous basketball player who was, what is his name? Ben Byer. He, he was given a big contract and everything just coming out of college. Never had drugs. He went out to celebrate. Friends enticed him to take one snort and he died. I could tell you of young ladies, Christians in the business world. I'm thinking of one right now. Going on really good. Beautiful girl. Real Christian. At the at a party at Christmas time, her Boston Tyster with great rewards. Never committed fornication, nothing like that. One time when she got AIDS and she died. One time, that's all. One time. By the way, that's true of adults. It only takes one incident to ruin your life. Just one. From another point of view, is talking to a mother lost a little child in the pool. She said, I only turned my head two seconds. That's all it took. That's all it took. The little baby went in the pool and drowned. One incident. One incident. Do not set your foot on their path. When you start down the path of sin, it's very difficult to turn around without the help and grace of God. Children must be taught the reason for resisting enticements. Listen to verse 16. Their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. You see, sin is progressive in nature. It goes from bad to worse, from worse to worse. It just goes on. It's like rumor. It's like gossip. It's a root of bitterness that springs up and it just contaminates everything it touches. Music, for instance, that eventually dulls the mind. Drugs that eventually destroy the brain. A media that distorts reality. They become absorbed in all of this stuff. Some of the stuff on TV now, not only MTV, but all the other stuff as well. All it does is ruin the mind of a young person. Have a beer. You enjoy the game a little better. Nothing wrong with it. Keep doing it, something is wrong with it. Sin is progressive. One drink leads to alcoholism. No one can be an alcoholic if you don't take a drink. They must be taught to resist enticements because sin is self-entrapment. It destroys the sinner. Notice verse 17. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. You're going to trap birds now. So you go set up and trap where all the birds are. They can look at you. Setting the traps. These men and young people lie and wait for their own blood. See, this is, this is what you've got to see sin is. Sin is you setting up your own judgment. They waylay only themselves. They think they're waylaying these people who they're sneaking up on, but in the final analysis, they're trapping themselves. Verse 19, 
Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Crime does pay. But it pays off in death for the person committing the crime. Self-entrapment. We wish we had more time to dwell on this. But gang-related evil behavior is as foolish as a hunter who exposes his own traps. But that's what the sinner is doing. Laying a trap for themselves. But they don't realize it. Parents, that's what you need to teach your children. Don't set trap to trap yourself. The text, the scriptures are clear. Whichever man sows, that will he also reap. Crime does not pay only in immediate gratification. It also pays in the ultimate destruction of the person who commits the crime. The principle is clear. Retribution for sin is self-inflicted. Judgment is contained within the, self, in the sin itself, young person. And it begins with you willfully rejecting the authority and instruction of your parents. So what is the inclusion then? What is the solution for parents and children to the gang problem and bad company? I believe that this proverb is clear. Both must learn to fear the Lord as parents and children. But it begins with the parents. Godly instruction backed up by a godly lifestyle is the most powerful weapon to both prevent and correct youth-related violence and the spirit of rebellion that now pervades our society. Complex problem. Simple solution. Parents, fear the Lord. Young people, fear the Lord by obeying your parents. If we do that, we could turn the tide in our community. Because not only should judgment begin in the house of God, but godly, but godly instruction as well. The Bible is clear. God has the answer. God has a solution. All it needs is for the response of God's people. What will your response be? Parents, will you fear God by obeying him? Children, will you fear God by obeying your parents? If you don't, the consequences are clear. If you do, the blessings are secure. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose to which you have sent it forth today. And all of God's people said, Amen.